You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. E-S-N-Y. everyone back to another episode of the Oops Addicts Anonymous podcast. Jeffrey Campbell, your host here tonight, uh, recording on the evening of uh, Tuesday, May 4th, almost 7 p.m. Eastern time. Tonight's guest, I'm very pleased to be speaking with a play-by-play announcer for the Memphis Grizzlies. We actually have the 2017 Tennessee State Sportscaster of the Year award winner, Pete Pranica. Pete, what's going on? Thank you for coming on the show. Oh, we're just uh, heading down to the home stretch here of the NBA season, and it has uh, it has been rather, rather interesting in the Grizzlies with a very compressed schedule because of the first half uh, postponements. They had six games per- postponed in the first half, and only one was made up in the first half. So uh, the Grizzlies were were tasked with playing 40, uh, 40 games in 68 days, <laughs> and sometimes you lose track of what day it is. I think uh, that's a that's a really good point. Um, you know, I, I've I've been lucky to speak to a, a couple of bloggers here and there who who follow the the Grizzlies pretty closely, and that's one thing that maybe doesn't get talked about enough. You know, in, in terms of that uh, really rough schedule that they're in the midst in right now. Um, but when we talk about you know your career and your start calling Grizzlies games, you've been with the Grizzlies since two thousand four. Um, been on radio and television as well. You know, when did you realize that being a play-by-play announcer was your calling, something you were interested in? It really started when I was a young kid because I realized, um, you can't tell on the podcast, I'm much taller in real life. Uh, no, I'm only about 5'8 and not terribly athletic. I play golf and tennis and, and things like that, but I was never going to be a football player, certainly not tall enough to be a basketball player. And so, Growing up in northeastern Wisconsin, in the country, probably about 15 miles from Green Bay, you your lifeline to sports was the radio and listening to, it was WTMJ out of Milwaukee, 50,000-watt clear channel station, and they had the Packers and the Badgers and the Bucks. And so if you were a kid in, in the you know early 70s as I was, your connection to sports was all about your local teams through radio. And I thought, man, would that be cool to be the guy with the microphone who is sitting there courtside or in the press box at Lambeau field and describing this amazing action and bringing it to people. And I just thought, always thought that was pretty cool. Well, the way that it turned out, Jeffrey is um, my high school, Premontre high school, which is no longer a a boys only school. It's now a a co-ed school and has a totally different name. Uh, it had a 10 watt radio station. And I think a lot of your listeners know who Kevin Harlan is and Kevin Harlan, of course, his dad was uh, the president of the green Bay Packers and Kevin went to Pramontre high school, but Kevin is five years older than I am. So Kevin actually 
uh, went through there and good old WGBP 90.1 on your FM dial. That is where Kevin Harlan started doing games. And then after Kevin graduated, I started doing our school's football and basketball games. And so I did everything. I was my own engineer. I had to raise the underwriting, make the phone calls to uh, Wisconsin Bell back in the day to set up the phone lines and, and all that stuff. So that's really where I started in high school and found out that uh, I, if I'm pat myself on the back, I was pretty good at it. Uh, people seem to think I was pretty good at it. And I think the seminal moment where the cool factor really kicked in and this gets back to as you're a kid, you know, I'm listening to the Milwaukee Bucks and Eddie Doucette, who was the radio voice of the Bucks at the time. And then later, Jim Irwin was the voice of the Bucks and also did the Packers and the Badgers. Well, in those days, Wisconsin high school sports were divided in between public schools and private schools. And Pramontre being a Catholic boys' school, of course, was a private school. They played their state championship not at the Wisconsin Fieldhouse, they played it at the Milwaukee Arena with the cool Robert Indiana brightly colored court. Right. And no team outside of Milwaukee, no school outside of Milwaukee had ever won the state boys basketball championship. Well, my senior year in high school, Premontre had a really good basketball team. Um, And so they go on and they qualify to play in the state quarterfinals quarterfinals, semifinals, finals, were all at the Milwaukee Arena. And I got to do those games. Premontre ends up winning the championship, and I am courtside at Mecca, the Milwaukee Arena. Uh, that just totally blew me away. I mean, that to me is, is like still one of, the, one of the coolest experiences I ever had. I listen to the tapes now, and I, I, I cringe about how bad they were. But this was like, my God, this is really cool. I am in an NBA arena. I am courtside and I am calling a basketball game and it's not into a tape recorder. This, this is real. So that, I think that probably was as big a moment as anything went on to Notre Dame, uh, did student radio there. And then ultimately my Notre Dame connections, you know, landed me in, in the NBA, but Kevin Harlan and I still, uh, still stay in contact. And I always tell the story that I was a freshman at Notre Dame. Kevin had graduated from Kansas and he, at 23 years of age, was going to be the radio voice of the Kansas City Kings. And the story was, obviously, we had gone to Premontre, but we were five years apart, so we never intersected. And so my mom sent me the, the paper cl- newspaper clipping of Kevin Harlan getting the job in Kansas City. And I thought, man, I'd really, really like to pick his brain. Now, how do I do this? Well... I figured, well, his dad sent him to Premontre. So, you know, if a kid calls from Premontre, maybe, maybe he'll call me back. Now, this is, this is 1982. Okay, so I call the Green Bay Packers and, and you know, the receptionist. Hi, may I speak with Bob Harlan, please? She puts me through. <laughs> okay, <laughs> this is like a totally different era from what, where we are now. Yeah. And so she puts me through. And, uh, you know, uh, tell Mr. Harlan, yeah, it's, it's Pete Branica. Uh, you know, I, I'm a student at, I graduated from Premontre. And uh, there was another Harlan boy, Brian Harlan, who went on to become the PR director for the Bears. He also went to Premontre. Mm. So, uh, so Bob Harlan took the call and he gave me Kevin's contact information. Yeah, give, give Kevin a call. And so, uh, so I've been, uh, you know, friends with Kevin Harlan since, since 1982. So that was probably, sorry, that's a really, really long-winded story, but I happen to think it's, it's, a, it's, it's a pretty cool one, particularly the fact that I actually got to talk to, to, to 
to Bob Harlan, <laughs> you know, just by cold calling the, the front desk at the, at the Green Bay Packers. No, I mean, that is amazing. First off, it's like that's a pretty awesome six degrees of separation right there uh, between the both of you, uh, of course, Kevin Harlan. But also, if you think about today, contacting any team, the PR that you have to go through, all the hoops just to get in contact to any type of player, assistant coach or anything like that, um, definitely a, a sign of the times for sure. Um, but, but moving from, I guess, the genesis of your career to now, you currently work with Revan Knight, who played his pro ball with teams like the Cavs, the Grizzlies, in addition to some others as well. What is the best part about working with Revan, and how do you guys complement each other as a broadcasting team? Well, the best part is, and, and you can never force this to happen, we are best friends off the air. We are. We play golf together, you know, at least once a week, if not more often. Yeah. Um, which is kind of interesting because when Brevin was hired, uh, before Brevin was involved with Grizzlies broadcasting, uh, Sean Tui, who is uh, the real life father from the Blindside movie, uh, was was my partner. And I had known Sean since I had gotten to Memphis and we'd worked in radio together on the radio broadcasts. And uh, and then he moved over to television Um well, then the Blindside movie got really, really popular and Sean was doing all the speaking engagements and I was out of town and I didn't realize that Sean had gone to management and said, you know, I really can't do all the games. I will do most of them or some of them, but I'm doing all these speaking engagements around the country in support of the film and, and our book and everything. And so I got a call from, from our boss saying, Hey, yeah, I just want to let you know, Brevin Knight's uh, going to do some games this year. He, he did an audition with our, with our radio announcer because you were on vacation, you were out of town, and we needed to get this done, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I had not, I had not bre met Brevin Knight until we actually started doing games together, which is it's one of those things that we just look at the game the same way. Our, our backgrounds are, are different, obviously. He's from New Jersey. I'm from Wisconsin. Um, he played. I didn't. Uh, he went to Stanford. I didn't. Uh, as he likes to remind me, but it was, it was just, it was just something, something that kind of clicked because we, we look at the game the same way and we just think the same way. And it would be, even if Brevin and I were not doing what we do, we would still be friends. If we had just, if we had met, if he had gone to Notre Dame or I'd gone to Stanford, we, we probably would have become friends no matter where we would have met. And no matter what the circumstances were, because we, we just we're just kind of simpatico that way. And it's again, it's it's something that the Grizzlies in, in their wildest dreams never could have figured like, well, let's see, we're going to put we're going to put Pete with Brevin and we think their personalities are going to mesh. You, you don't know. You, you really don't. And it and it's and it's organic. And for us, it's very, very real. And uh, kind of on that same vein, you know, this year uh, has posed a lot of different challenges for anyone in the media. You know, especially people that are used to getting to the arena, the arena very early in terms of preparation, talking with players, picking up on body language, facial expressions, how uh, players and coaches are doing. In what ways have you and Brevin had to be have to become creative in terms of trying to call the way call, call the games the way that you're used to? Biggest thing that we have we have done is is texting assistant coaches and trying to get some background information on them. Uh, you know, or, or their take on, on what's going on with the team and a particular player. Because, yeah, we haven't literally been in the same room with our coaching staff, with our players, with anybody for for over a year now. In fact, I was on an airplane 
during all-star break to, you know, get away some for some R and R and Brandon Clark walks in. He says, Hey, it's a long time. I haven't seen you. It's like, ah, I haven't seen you either, except from, you know, like a hundred feet away. Um, so that that's been, that's been very challenging. So it's, it's hard to know exactly what a player is thinking or what's going through their mind. And the example that I like to use is last year, we were in the team hotel, got into the elevator with a player and just kind of a, Hey, how you doing? And the particular player says, well, yes, man, I'm just, I, I'm just battling this cold and I just can't get over it. Well, now we're not going to go on the air and we're not going to say, you know, player X has a cold, but if that player doesn't play well, if they seem to be struggling, we know in the back of our minds why, right. and maybe we might be a little less, and I don't want to say critical because typically we're not critical, but it just informs kind of on background what's going on with the team. And, and those are the things that you really and truly miss. And there are some ways you just, you can't work around it because Brevin knows so many uh, assistant coaches. I know a lot of assistant coaches that I've, that I've met in my stops, whether it's been in Detroit or, or Portland or in Memphis that, you know, these guys and you want to pick their brains and, you know, but I don't have everybody's cell phone numbers. Uh, but, you know, if, if you're doing a game in person and you just walk over to the opposing bench and you say, you know, hey, Brian, James, how you doing, man? What's 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 up with your team? And they'll give you stuff on background. I think, you know, people know us well enough that we're not going to betray any trade secrets and uh, and we're going to use their information responsibly. Uh, and those those are the things you miss. And you also miss with with uh, the other broadcasters just because many of them are friends and, and, you know, we miss our friends. Now, some teams, uh, Utah, Indiana, uh, have a, have a very formal process where they say, okay, well, we're going to have a game day conversation with, with the Memphis announcers because we're playing the Grizzlies tonight. And so, you know, might do a zoom call or a team's call or, or, or whatever software you want to use. And we'll, we'll have conversations and we'll trade information that way. Um, if we don't do that, uh, I've been doing a podcast for the Basketball Podcast Network. And so I've involved a number of broadcasters as, as guests in terms of previewing. And so I've been able to get some information that way. And then sometimes it's just flat out writing an email saying, hey, Jim Paschke, I know we're playing the Bucks, you know, tomorrow night. And kind of here's what's going on with us because I know Jim really well. So there, there, you just have to use other forms of communication rather than just walking up to somebody in a building, which is, which is, which is our preferred way to do it, of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you, I was listening to, um, I'm a New York guy, I'm a Knicks fan, and I know uh, just played the Grizzlies last night, but, you know, I've been listening to a lot of sports talk radio, um, especially on the topic of when, you know, life does find itself back to normalcy you know, will uh, organizations see kind of like the cost cutting methods that have been implemented during the pandemic? Will they still continue them in terms of maybe keeping broadcast teams within the home state? Um, what do you think, you know, will kind of happen? Do you think that will be just kind of a based on, you know, a team by team scenario? I'm sure you are personally hoping that we are back in the arena. I know you know, for me watching games, I always feel like there's a, a special connection, certain that certainly something that you can get watching the games that you can't, you know, from being on the outside. But what do you think will happen when we kind of return to that? Uh, the, the short answer is I don't know, because I'm, you, you hear enough of like, well, you know, we're saving an awful lot of money. <laughs> and and obviously that that always seem, money always seems to be the, the driver of the bus in the situation. Now, having said that, I had a conversation with Mike Breen circling back to the Knicks. 
And Mike said, look, he said, I realize I'm not nearly as good off a monitor as I am in person. He said, I did not realize how much I look off the ball when I'm calling a game. Um, And I think that, you know, Mike is so influential and has the ear of Adam Silver that the NBA is not going to force teams to spend money that maybe they don't have because look, a lot of these teams took a financial hit because of not being able to finish last season or or finishing it in the bubble and then an abbreviated season this year. So teams are going to, I'm sure they're going to look at it. Now, one possible scenario that has been discussed is maybe you send the announcers, but the producer and director uh, and the tech people stay back in the home market. So now instead of traveling, you know, because we travel a producer, a director, a replay operator, and a graphics operator. So that that's that's four people. Some teams may say, you know what, we can just run the signals back to our control room in Memphis or in a truck in Memphis, and, you know, they can do their jobs just as easily there as they can, you know, rather than flying them around on a charter jet and, and, and having them stay at the Ritz-Carlton. I would hope that that doesn't happen because – and we're very blessed with the Grizzlies that we have a very tightly knit group and we, and we suffered a tremendous loss this year because Speedy Edwards, our Elvis operator, EVS operator, replay operator, whatever you want to call him, passed away due to COVID. So, you know, we're a very, very tightly knit group. We don't want to leave anybody home, but as far as announcers are concerned, one thing that I've always said to anybody who's ever asked me the question is it's like telling Edward R. Murrow to report on the London blitz from Paris. It makes no sense. It yeah. makes absolutely no sense. And Rob Fisher, our outstanding sideline reporter, made a point. He said, if we're calling games off monitors, our frame of reference for the game is no different than the fan. And the fan is relying on us to give some context, to give some layering to what's going on with this basketball game. And that's that's absolutely the truth. If we're looking at the same monitor you're looking at, we can't really add, you know, we might be able to add a little bit more. But basically, we're doing the same thing as the fan might be talking to his or her television. The other thing, too, is that over the years, those of us, you know, like a Mike Breen, like myself, that we've been around for, you know, 20 plus years in the NBA, we know enough of the referees and they know us and they respect us that if there's a play that we need a clarification on and we're not questioning their judgment, we're just saying, you know, we, we had a situation a couple of games ago in Orlando where I think there were like three tenths of a second left in the half and Orlando inbounds the ball, but they throw it directly out of bounds. And then the Grizzlies get it back and then they throw it and it hits the backboard and the clock runs and the horn goes off. And all of a sudden there's a jump ball at center court. I have no idea what's going on. (laughs) I don't know what the rule is. I I think I'm pretty good with the rules. I have no idea. So I have to text Jason Phillips in the replay center, who's running the replay center in Secaucus and saying, Jason, I I have no idea what happened here. Can you help me? If we're sitting courtside, I wave the referee over and say, hey, you know, if you can get their attention, what, what happened there? And the explanation is, well, we had an inbounds, we had a clock malfunction, and so we, we jump it up at center court. Okay, fine. But I couldn't, and that was the end of the first half. I couldn't explain that till the start of the third quarter because I had to text Jason Phillips in Secaucus and ask him the question, and I don't get the answer for, you know, 10 minutes because he's kind of busy at the time. So those are the things that you really, really miss, and it's, uh, it's, it's unfortunate if money were to keep us at home 
and to prevent us from doing the best possible job. We can't do the best possible job if we are not in the building. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And also just the emotion of the call as well. Like, I, I mean, for me, watching games on MSG, but, but knowing that Mike and Clyde are there, when a big when when something happens, I mean, you know, you got to believe that it's going to be affected a little bit if you're watching the game on the monitor as if you're in the arena with the fans that are screaming, watching the players that are running up and down. You know, um, it's 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 certainly something that as fans, I know that we hope you guys are back in the arena as well. I appreciate that. You know, Mike Breen made made the same comment. He said, you know, I never realized how much I let the soundtrack of the fans carry my call, which is more important on television than it is on radio. But yeah, when you, when you have a building or, or, or the, the hard part is we're doing road games and we sit in our perch at the top of the lower bowl and you're doing a game that, you know, is hundreds, if not a thousand miles away that may or may not have fans and there's pumped in crowd noise and we're sitting in an empty FedEx forum that seats 18,000 people. And there's a basketball court down there with nobody on it. And there's our stage manager, our statistician, our cameraman, Brevin, Rob, and myself. And that's it. And we're trying to create this excitement about this fantastic game that's being played in, in Minnesota or in San Francisco or at Madison Square Garden. And we're not there. It, it's, 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 it's very, very hard. The, unfortunately, people are saying, we really can't tell the difference that you're not there. Like, no, 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 don't say that. We, <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're, you're doing your job too well in that case. <laughs> well, you know, the thing of it is we can be good. Yeah, we can be good. We can have good telecasts. We can't have great telecasts. You can't have great telecasts if you're not there to get the information and, and to get it firsthand, because you just never know. Like I said, you know, the earlier walking in the into the elevator example, you never know where you're going to get a good piece of information. And uh, and, and we, we really don't have a shot at that if, if we're working remotely. Pete, you've been there for the grit and grind teams that were really successful in Memphis. The Grizzlies currently have some really good young talent in John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. In your opinion, what do they need or what are they missing to take that next step? I know it's hard to compare those teams because um, a lot of those other really successful teams were very vet veteran laden. Um, but what do you feel like they're missing? Well, I think you touched on it. I, I think they're missing a veteran. Um, this is a team that it is the only, and I'm going to exclude Tim Frazier. He's been signed for the rest of the year, but Tim Frazier is, is, is inactive more often than not. He's 30 years old. There isn't anybody else on the team older than 28. And, you know, roster construction is an interesting topic. And if you have a roster that, for example, is all rookies and really long-in-the-tooth veterans and no middle class, that's not good. If you have a ton of really old guys and no young guys, that's not good. And the Grizzlies have a lot of young guys, and they don't have, you know, the, the OG. And last year, you know, the Grizzlies made a deal because they, they were trying to get rid of Andre Iguodala, and so, you know, Jay Crowder goes away. And Solomon Hill go away. And those were two guys who were so good in the locker room that they really helped that basketball team. And then after they were gone, that veteran influence wasn't there anymore. And we don't have that veteran influence this year. The oldest guy we had was Gorgie Jang, who I think is 30, 31, but he wasn't going to play. Right. And so rather than keep him around, they, they, they bought him out and he signed with the San Antonio Spurs. So 
to have a veteran leader, because you look at the Grizzlies and they have lost, I think it's 12 double digit leads to lose games. And recently that that's, it's been kind of a kind of epidemic. Um, And a big part of that is sometimes you have guys who have not been around long enough to fully understand what you're going through this time of the year when every possession matter matters, every game matters, every quarter matters, every shot matters, every deflection matters. If you haven't been there, you don't know. And that's true whether you're a broadcaster, because, I mean, the first playoff game, it's an entirely different animal. And when you're playing late in the season, you're playing for playoff seating and you're playing for positioning. If you haven't been through it before, you don't understand it. And that's something that this team is need. They, they could, they could use a, a good veteran, an, an old guy who who's been to the playoffs with other teams and they've seen a lot of things. And um, so that's the thing that they're missing. They're also missing, you know, a, a, a true, Stud second score. John Morant's really good. Jonas Valanciunas is really good. Jaron Jackson Jr. is not fully healthy yet. So you're you're playing with not an entirely full deck, and you're trying to figure some things out. You're right. This team has a lot of really nice pieces. They have shown that they have been that they can be fantastic. You go to Milwaukee and you win in Milwaukee, and you know you can beat teams that you wouldn't think that you'd beat. You know they sweep Philadelphia. They uh, uh, sweep Brooklyn as well. And then there are games where they're playing Orlando and they're up 20 in the third quarter and they can't close it out against a shorthanded magic team. So that's the inconsistency, the maddening inconsistency of this year's edition of the Memphis Grizzlies. And I think that that makes sense too. I feel like that type of pattern of losing games like that is very consistent with the young team. Um, with that being said, what do you think their chances are of making, you know, any type of noise in the playoffs? They currently hold the ninth seed. Um, you know, I, I, New Orleans, they don't seem like they're, they're very strong right now. I don't know what their chances of threatening uh, either the nine or, or 10 are really, but um, once you get into the play play in tournament, I mean, what le- legitimately, what do you think their chances are of, of, of advancing? I think you can start flipping a coin. I, I mean, right now, it, you know, this is a team that can win seven in a row. This is a team that can lose seven in a row. And, and you really don't know um, which team is going to show up from night to night. And, and that to me is, is, is the biggest issue. Now they did take two or three from San Antonio, but that was a couple months ago. So how good are they going to be um, if they have to play San Antonio in the play-in the last game of the regular season for the Grizzlies and Golden State Warriors is a head-to-head matchup at Chase Center in San Francisco. And I think that is going to be a massive, massive game that could determine any number of things as far as the playing tournament is concerned. I really think if the Grizzlies finish seven or eight, you've got a puncher's chance because you only have to win one. If they finish nine or 10, then it becomes really dicey because then you've got to win two games. And that is something because of the inconsistency with this team that that would concern me even though they have played well against san antonio they're one and one with golden state right now pending the outcome of of the final game of the regular season so uh i think there's a chance but are we going to see the grizzlies team that took care of business at Moda center in consecutive games against portland or are we going to see the team that blew a 20 point lead against a, a depleted orlando team I, I don't know which team we're going we're gonna to see. So it is really, really, really hard to project at this point. 
that is what makes the NBA uh, so amazing. And, and we know it'll be interesting coming down the stretch. Pete, last one before, um, before we let you go. Um, what are your top three favorite calls while working as the Grizzlies play-by-play announcer? It could either be a game or, or a specific play. And if you can't, can't think of three, if you can give me one or two, um, that would be great. Well, you always go with the game winners, of course. Um, they're one that always stands out, Rudy Gay over LeBron James when he was with the Heat to win a game. And it's one of my favorite calls because I was able to get it out, get it correct, and then just lay out and then the building goes crazy because, you know, it was something like, you know, Rudy, baseline, jumper for the win. And then I just say, yes, yes, yes. And then the, we have a wonderful director, Tom Hewitt, who, who used to direct uh, NBA on Turner and now has been director for the Grizzlies since they moved to Memphis. Cuts fantastic shots. So I don't have to say anything. And it's like, shut up. The, cra- the building is overflowing. Just, you know, let, let that happen. I think that is probably one that stands out just because of how well it came off and it's at home. The Shane Battier three when the Grizzlies won their first ever playoff game in San Antonio is a moment I will always remember. Uh, the call was good, but you're on the road. And obviously in San Antonio, they're, they're a little shocked that uh, this, this, this number eight seed from Memphis is going to beat the mighty San Antonio Spurs in a playoff game. Um, that would be number two. Then there was uh, the Courtney Lobb leave from Vince Carter with like three tenths of a second left against Sacramento. The Grizzlies put together this amazing rally. Um, that was, that was one that was really good. And then a couple of years ago when David Fisdale was coaching the Grizzlies and, and Memphis is playing San Antonio in the playoffs, Mark Gasol with a game winner. Those, those are the moments that you really remember. I think you really remember the game winning shots as, as much as anything, but a lot of good memories. I think another memory that stands out, um, is the night that we had Vince Carter work the telecast with us. Vince was hurt and Vince wanted to be in broadcasting. He had done uh, some broadcasting when he was injured, I think in Toronto or some other previous stops. And so funny because you grow up or you, you follow the NBA and it's Vince Carter. (laughs) <laughs> Vince Carter. All right. This is crazy. This is Vince Carter. I'm talking about Vince Carter. So Vince had said, you know, look, I, I really would like to do, I'd like to do some games. I'm not hurt. I can't play, you know, I'll sit in for a quarter. Like, Hey, absolutely. Yeah. Cause Vince is really good. And I will tell you this. Vince is one of the best and most impressive people I have met in any walk of life. I don't care. Basketball player, executive, whatever. He's amazing. So we're in Phoenix and Brevin, it was kind of a running joke. Brevin's like, you know, I don't want this guy to take my job. Um, So we're, we're in Phoenix and he does the second quarter with us. And that was kind of our deal. It's like, okay, first quarter, we need to get the telecast underway properly and, and get everything rolling. So let's not bring a third voice in. You can do the second quarter because then now we're rolling. And then at halftime, you can go in and you can talk to the, you know, talk to the coaches, do whatever you need to do. And then, you know, we just finished the second half. So he sits in for the second quarter. And, you know, the halftime horn sounds and uh, I say, you know, it's halftime here at America West Arena. Our thanks to Vince Carter for stopping by. Grizzlies lead at 65-60 over the Phoenix Suns. We'll be back with halftime in a moment. You go to break. They cut the microphones. And then Vince turns to me and he kind of 
and I pulls the headset off and he says, um, can I come back for the third quarter? <laughs> it's like, first of all, it's, it's not really my decision. If it were, I'm happy to have you here all the time. But again, to see somebody who was, again, Vince Carter, right. all right, Air Canada. This right. is the, this is the, he is, for a kid from Florida, he is the touchstone for the, the amazing production we're getting out of Canadian basketball. Right. I mean, this is the guy who basically said to Canadian kids, you can be a basketball player too. Um, and, and his influence on the game has been so incredibly profound. And, and here is this guy, like I said, in the day, I mean, slam dunk champion, scoring champion, you know, multiple all-star. And he's, he's looking at me like, can I come back for another quarter? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it just, it just kind of blows your mind, but, but that's Vince Carter. He is, he is, he's one of my all time favorite human beings because he is such an incredibly good guy comes from a great background. Um, I remember another story about Vince. We were doing one of the community involvement uh, programs in Memphis and we had a school bus full of kids mm -hmm. and Vince Carter was going along and, you know, sometimes players on these things, sometimes they're more emotionally invested and other times, maybe not so much, but Vince is big into education. I don't think people know that Vince actually was offered a band scholarship, not to North Carolina, uh, in addition to a basketball scholarship to play for, for Dean Smith. Um, at one point, Vince gets on the bus with the kids and he tells all the teachers and all the Grizzlies reps, get off the bus. He wanted to talk to the kids by himself and just sit, chat with them, answer questions and give him uh, or give those kids what he felt was really important for them to know about an education. And you see what's happened with Vince, where he's going to have a very, very long career as a broadcaster, if, if, if that's what he chooses. And I think he'll be very, very successful. And uh, like I said, he is, he is one of my all-time favorite people uh, that I've had to, the opportunity to work with. I, I really appreciate that story. I feel like, you know, for, for fans who um, watch and idolize players, you don't always see the human side of them, right? And Vince is somebody who I've seen, especially towards the end of his career, really beloved wherever he went, right? Like, I think his last game was actually against the Knicks before the NBA shut down. I think Right, he, hit that three for Atlanta, right. The place is going crazy because everybody wants, you know, this is Vince Carter's swan song. And um, as also, you know, I, I, I'm a school psychologist and I work in middle school settings. So for someone to really take that, that passion and desire to speak to kids. Um, and like you said, to be more emotionally invested than, than, you know, is maybe required in some instances is really great. Um, so I, I definitely appreciate that. Um, Pete, listen, thank you so much. I've been, you know, very appreciative of, of your time tonight. Really enjoyed talking Grizzlies as, as well as your career. Um, and if, if there's anything, if, if uh, you want to tell the people listening where they can find you on Twitter, if there's anything that you're working on right now outside of um, calling the games and you want to promote, you know, please, please do so. Sure. Uh, Twitter is an easy follow. It's at Pete Pranica, P-E-T-E-P-R-A-N-I-C-A. -E -E and you can look for my podcast on the, it's called the Grizz Weekly Grind. You can find it on the basketball podcast network. Uh, and so you can find it on iTunes. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on Stitcher. And during the season, it comes out twice. 
<laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of busy doing, uh, doing some really cool podcasting. But one of the things that's interesting about this particular podcast is that sometimes it's about basketball. Sometimes it's about other things that uh, are unique to Memphis. And in fact, in the episode we have coming up, we're going to talk to the uh, CEO of uh, ALSAC, which is the fundraising enterprise of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And we're going to talk about the intersection of sport and philanthropy. So something a little different, you know, it's, I don't, you know, the X's and O's are, are fine, but sometimes it's good to just to talk about some other things too. I think I'm going to have to uh, put that one in the, in the subscription and check that one out for sure. I appreciate that. Um, I appreciate the time and I appreciate the invitation. hundred percent. Thank you so much. And to all the listeners, um, we hope you guys are staying safe and we'll talk to you soon.